Today's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amanda. If you can keep your Bibles out to Luke chapter 9, we're going to now start a series through Luke chapter 9 all the way to Luke chapter 18. Um, and uh, um, I'm thankful that we're going back to exp- expositional series. Um, and we'll let God's word uh, speak to all of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for the apostles whom you have inspired uh, to record these words um, for us. And now we pray that by the power of your spirit, would you illuminate these words um, and help us to see the truth in them? Would you impress upon them the truth um, that you are speaking into our hearts that we might bear fruit for your name's sake? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we proclaim the gospel and share the good news of Jesus with other people, the goal is very clear. Isn't it? We want that person to come to know Jesus. We want that person to repent and be baptized. And when that happens, we celebrate because we think the goal is done, the hard part is over, and, and, and we should celebrate that moment. But Jesus' words here and the words that we will hear in the coming weeks through the Gospel of Luke uh, reminds us that actually uh, that following Jesus returning to Jesus, that's actually where the hard part begins, not where it ends. The hard part isn't following Jesus because Jesus calls us to follow him on the path of the cross. Verse 51 begins a new section in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke so far, God has, Jesus has come and he does miracles. He reveals his identity. He reveals the, the ethics of his upside-down kingdom. And at the highlight leading, leading up uh, to, to this chapter, Jesus reveals who he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he, tells, he, he teaches people that he's going to go to the cross and to confirm all of that, God does something amazing. 
right before uh, this uh, uh, section in chapter 9, you'll see that there is the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, verse 28, where Jesus shines gloriously. God confirms all that he has taught and who he is on that Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus stands next to Moses and Elijah, and they disappear, and Jesus remains. But then, after this glorious moment, what does Jesus do? He goes to Jerusalem to be rejected, to be tried, to suffer, and to die on the cross. And the word follow uh, happens three times in our reading today, verses 57, 59, and 61. And that is the theme here. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and he calls us to follow him. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple of a God who went to the cross and rose again. And in this section, he teaches to his disciples what it means to be a follower of this Messiah. He says today that to be his disciple, that we must count the cost. We must know that we're going to face rejections, but to face them with grace and compassion and to be totally committed to him and not to anything else. And it also means to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So let's get to the first point, facing rejections with grace. Say that you're a doctor you, who has invented this the cure for cancer, but for some reason you just have few doses of it. You can't give it to everybody, and you're just thinking about how, who to give it to, and you're considering who to give it to, and after a great time of prayer and consideration and thought, you've decided to give it to somebody who really can't afford it, this person who doesn't have any money, who doesn't have any resources, and you want to give it to this person. But when you offer it to this person, he turns to you and say, says, I don't want it. I'd rather die than to receive it from you because you're Chinese. How would you feel? Wouldn't you feel not just rejected, but wouldn't you feel enraged? <laughs> wouldn't you feel angry? Wouldn't you feel furious at what was happening? Well, I think actually, that, that is kind of what, how James and John were feeling at this moment in our story when Jesus sent messengers ahead of him to Samaria to prepare the way for him to come to proclaim the good news of the gospel. They reject him. They say, don't come. Well, what's the reason? Verse 53. Because he's heading over to Jerusalem. Well, what's wrong with that? As most of you know, Samaritans hated the Jews. They rejected Jerusalem as the place of worship, the center of worship. They rejected the temple. They rejected, actually, the Jewish Bible. They only accepted the first five books. And they had history of hatred against the Jews. And the feeling was mutual. So they didn't want him to come. They didn't want Jesus to come. And James and John, who are called sons of thunder in another gospel, and you can tell, you can see the reason why, they want to call fire down from heaven to kill them. They were furious. Their master, their Lord, is going to go to them, spend time with them, share the message of Jesus, the life with them, and they reject him? How dare they? Actually, this also has precedence in the Old Testament. 2 Kings uh, chapter 1. Remember that story. Elijah, uh, this king of, Samaria, king of northern kingdom, Samaria, um, asks, uh, goes to a different god than Yahweh God. 
and he sends messengers to Elijah. And what does Elijah do? He prays for fire from heaven, and it comes down and it kills the messengers of this king uh, twice. And he uh, says to them, Is there no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? It, 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 should, be, it should make us uh, uh, um, angry that others, people are worshiping somebody else other than Yahweh God, other than Jesus Christ. But, of course, Jesus rebukes the sons of thunder. This isn't a time of judgment. This is time of compassion. Remember, where is Jesus going? He's heading over to Jerusalem to die for sinners such as these. Friends, we are going to face rejection. If we go out with the good news of the gospel, if we live his way, we are going to face rejections as well. Our world will disagree that Jesus is the only way. When we speak of hell, people will get angry at the thought of hell. When we insist that there is objective right and wrong, that sex is reserved for married male and female, that there is such a thing as biological sex, when we say these things, people will reject us. They might get really angry at us. But when we face that rejection, how will we respond? Will we also respond in kind, in anger? Or will we respond with grace and compassion? Later on in chapter 19, Jesus will go to Jerusalem. He will arrive at Jerusalem. He'll see the city and he'll think, he'll, and he anticipates the rejection of the city. And what does he do? Does he get angry? No, he weeps. He cries in compassion for the people who will reject him. Unfortunately, though, Many Christians are known for their anger, aren't we? And if I'm honest, that anger is instinctual. It's, it's instinctual. I mean, when I proclaim the gospel, when I try to share the gospel and people reject it and they start talking back or, or they start getting angry at some of the things that I am saying, well, it's my instinct to react in anger. I, you know, I want to show them that I have a better argument, that, that, that there is reasons for, that, that for them to be wrong, that for them to be shown that they are wrong. Compassion and grace goes out the window. I just want to win. Isn't that often our re, uh, reaction to rejection? Instead of compassion, we get angry, and we, anger gets the better of me. So some Christians have come to be, no, come to be, uh, be known for their anger, Um, Unfortunately, a shouting Christian is an image that the world knows far too well. Jesus rebuked James and John. He rebukes them for responding in anger. Friends, we are to remember that those who are rejecting, rejecting the gospel are those people that we want to save. We want to share the good news and eternal life with. We want to be compassionate as Christ was. John Wesley was an Anglican clergy who was not satisfied with the spiritual state of that time in the 18th century England. And throughout his ministry, he challenged his listeners to a deeper level of commitment and and, and holiness. 
and he went to church after church uh, preaching this message. And, but the people who rejected him the most, most fiercely, most angrily, were people within the church, within the Church of England. They rejected him vehemently. <laughs> they uh, re- rejected uh, um, uh, giving him a place to, the, to preach. Uh, they, uh, they threw rotten tomatoes and even stones at him. When he was denied uh, preaching in the pulpit within, he went out to the fields to preach out there. And once, uh, they loosed uh, a bull <laughs> to drive him away, drive him and the crowd away. Wouldn't you be angry at that? It would make your blood boil. But rather than becoming bitter and, and, and angry at the Church of England or all the people who are rejecting me, he kept going. He kept persevering. He kept preaching the message of the gospel to all the people who would listen to him. And over time, even though the Church of England had rejected him, many people in the England, uh, Church of England had rejected him, he remained uh, Church of England clergy. He loved the church. He tried, he tried to transform the church within and eventually, his followers set up a denomination now called Methodist Church. But he remained a churchman, and now he has won the respect of many Anglicans and Christians around the world. Friends, whose face comes up when we think about, when we talk about rejection that makes your blood boil? Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus on the way to the cross. Think of Jesus looking at Jerusalem and weeping. Follow him in the path of grace and compassion. And I know that is hard. And actually, it gets harder. (laughs) Jesus says those who follow him must be completely devoted to him. The next point, please. In verse 57 and on, Jesus talks to three people. And the first one, First one turns to Jesus and says he will follow Jesus no matter where he goes. It's a bit like this. Have you ever, do you believe in love at first sight? You know, have you ever seen somebody or have you known people who go, I saw this person and I knew that I was going to marry this person you know, without knowing anything about that person? It's a bit like that here. <laughs> this person sees Jesus and sees what he's doing and he says, I want to follow you wherever you go. But Jesus looks at this person and says, you know, you don't really know what you're talking about. Verse 58, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to live. Lay his head. You think you want to follow me, but, but do you know that I actually don't know where I'll be sleeping tonight? Do you know that I've left everything to go to the cross? That I don't have the comfort of a home anymore? That I'm heading to this place Are you ready to leave the basic things to follow me? He says, count the cost. He says, count the cost to know what you are leaving behind to come to me. How about you? Would you sell your apartment if God calls you to? To leave home, leave Hong Kong, leave home, the place that you love, to follow him. Can you do that? Could you leave your home? And you might not be able to. Uh, you, you might not. Uh, you, you, most of us aren't called to leave these things. But the discipleship should come with sacrifice. Following Jesus, following the Messiah who wears a crown of 
thorns and went to the cross, following him means sacrificing something. And if we're not making any sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, you're probably not worshiping Jesus. If there's no sacrifice for Christ in your life, you're probably not worshiping Jesus. The thing that you make sacrifices for, that's the thing that you worship, isn't it? And things get even harder. Jesus calls a man to follow him in verse 59. He answers, Lord, first let me go bury my father. I don't think this means that he wants to attend the funeral. I think what this means is that my father is old. Can I just wait? Can I just wait until he dies and he's settled? And then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus answers, let the dead bury the dead. Meaning, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. And you proclaim the message of life. The third is similar, verse 61. This man says he'll follow Jesus, but first... He wants to say goodbye to his family. Verse 62. No one who puts, on a ha- puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. It's shocking to hear this, isn't it? Because doesn't family come first? We idolize family in Hong Kong, especially our children. We do anything for them. We do everything for them. Friends, what comes first? Your family or Jesus? What comes first? What are the things that you're making sacrifices for? Your family? Jesus. Maybe family is not what you live for, but how would you finish that sentence? Lord, I will follow you, but first. What's the first? How would you finish that sentence? Because whatever you fill the blank there is probably what you're making sacrifices for already. It's the thing that you're living for already right now. Jesus says he must come first, that he ought to be our priority. What it means to follow Jesus and prioritize Jesus over family and possessions, home and all that, will look different for each of us. Actually, it looked different for the apostles too. Peter, Apostle Peter, most, it seems that he mostly lived in Jerusalem most of the time. And then at the end of his life, he was in Rome and he was martyred. Paul, he was called right away from his home and he became an itinerant missionary. Went all over the world self-sacrificially and died a martyr's death. But not everybody died. Uh, Apostle John, he lived a long life. And he, it seems like although in exile, he died a natural death. You know, what that looks like, prioritizing Jesus looks different for each of us. But the call for them and call for us is the same. Complete commitment. Uh, following him above all else. Devotion to Christ. Friends, We can't have it all. We can't have it all. Whenever you make a decision, you're leaving behind something. You're making some sacrifice to do this one thing. If you you do one thing, you can't do other things, right? And sometimes making this choice will come in in a big life decision like it did for Nick. Sorry, I'm bringing this up again. You've heard Nick's story. 
when he was in England, you heard the story of his choice. Either honor his commitment to the biblical teaching of sexual ethics and resign as the head of school there, or compromise. Uh, he left his job. Mind you, he left everything, right? Home, he didn't know. He's, he's got four kids. <laughs> he didn't have a job lined up. Next, he left his job. But it doesn't have to come in a big decision like that. In fact, I think he was able to make that big decision because he was prioritizing Jesus in small decisions every day. He was thinking about how to raise his kids and sacrificing for Jesus, how to spend his time and money and energy. He was sacrificing for Jesus. He was prioritizing for Christ. And so when the big decision came, he was able to make that big decision to prioritize the gospel and prioritize Christ. Friends, what are we living for? And are we making sacrifices for Christ? Does our life show that we're prioritizing Him? And let me quickly remind you also, not prioritizing Christ also has a cost, right? It takes a great toll. Let me remind you of verse 62. Again, no one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. If you put your hand on the plow, then you must look straight ahead. Why? Because that's the only way that you can get the, 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 the furrows to go straight. Next slide, please. Um, if you take your eyes off the horizon and in the front, your furrows will go all squiggly. It'll be crooked. Worshiping Jesus, but then you start looking left and right, well, your life will go crooked. You will com make compromises for other things. Uh, your life will get complicated. You will make wrong decisions. You will not bear fruit the way that we're supposed to, worshiping Jesus and many other gods. Being not wholly committed to Him will mean that we will live a crooked life. And it will also, I think, lead to exhaustion, tiredness, right? If you worship Jesus and work, I mean, work in Hong Kong. It's, it's, it's tiring already. But if that is your idol and you're trying also to worship Jesus, it'll destroy you. If you worship your children and family and Jesus at the same time, all the activities that you do and on top of that you're fitting in everything, you'll, it'll get exhausting. Friends, we can't have it all. We must make sacrifices. So what kind of sacrifices are you making? Is it for Christ or for something else? And finally, following Jesus also means proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 60. 60. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Following Jesus here doesn't just mean living his own way, his way but it also means proclaiming the gospel, right? There's also this urgency. He thinks it's more important um, that, uh, to preach the life-giving message of the gospel than to take care of the per person who is dying, his parents who is dying. Friends, this message, it's urgent because this message that we have is message of life that gives life to people. 
there's an urgency there because we hold the key of life in this dying world. And if you're asking, how can we be confident that this message is, should be sort of prioritized and it should be urgent, that this will actually bring life um, to the world? Well, look at verse 51 again. There, Jesus resolutely, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We can be sure that the gospel message will bring life to the world because we're not preaching a philosophy of life. We're not preaching a way of living. We're preaching what Jesus actually did. The, the fact, uh, the historical fact of Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus, be, because, we proclaim the fact of that past because of his great love for us. He resolutely, unswervingly, uh, uh, determinedly went to the cross and died for us. And on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. It is paid. His work is done. We're not telling people to do something so that they will be saved. We're telling people that Jesus has done it for you, everything for you. Come and follow Christ. That's what we are saying. It will bring life to the world. And actually, if you look at verse 51, I said that, that Jesus went to Jerusalem. But that's not quite right. Oh, look at it again. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't his final destination. Where was, where, where was he going? He was going to heaven. It was a stop. The cross was a stop before he rose again. He ascended in glory, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. Friends, Suffering and death, self-sacrifice, that's not the end of our life either. If we follow Christ, we will die. There will be a price to pay, but we will rise again in glory with him. We'll be seated with him in heaven right now. And when Jesus comes back and recreates the world, we will rule the new world with him. That is our final destination. And that is a message that should bring life to the world because of what Jesus has done, will reign in glory with him. Friends, this king who gave everything for you calls you to follow him. Would you follow him resolutely, devo devotedly, and unswervingly above all things? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that far too long we've been making sacrifices for the idols in our hearts, for comforts of this world, for the people that we love, and not have, we, have, we confess that we have not put you first. Lord, we pray now that you will help us to remember Jesus and what he has done, how he resolutely went to his, the, the cross for our sake and how he died and rose again uh, to give us the glory that he deserves, to, to share that glory to, for all of us. Lord, help us to deeply meditate on what Jesus has done. And we pray that, that his work uh, will uh, seep in to our hearts. Uh, Lord, that our hearts will be changed. That it will be softened and we'll see you as who you are and we'll follow you above all, above all else 
as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we are weak, but we pray now that you would breathe your Holy Spirit upon your people in Shatin Church now, that we would be a church full of disciples, church full of followers of Jesus. Amen.